Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Waterfowl. Hello and welcome to the North American Waterfowler Podcast. My name is Elliot and thank you for joining me today. Um, I had not intended on posting a podcast today, but I had this interview pop up with someone I think you're really going, going to enjoy hearing from. And so I did, the po- I did the podcast on Monday and I decided I want to get this out as quickly as I can because I had so much fun with this interview. So the interview you're about to watch is my conversation with Matt Light. 11-year NFL veteran, played for the New England Patriots alongside Tom Brady, actually was left tackle for the Patriots, three Super Bowl wins, and so this was so much fun to be able to talk to him. Now, the reason I interviewed him is he has a foundation called the Light Foundation, and they are heavily involved in getting youth into the outdoors. Now, Matt kind of specializes in turkey hunting, and he has the sweepstakes coming up where you can enter and try to win an all-expense-paid trip on a turkey hunt in Florida with him and some others. So he's going to be talking about that and his background in the outdoors, which is extensive, and everything that he has going on. But I did take this opportunity to really talk a lot of football with Matt because I just have never had the chance to interview an NFL a veteran, and I wanted to talk with him and ask him a bunch of questions about what it was like to live that lifestyle and live that life. So that's what you're going to see, my conversation with three-time Super Bowl champion and left tackle, the main person in charge of protecting Tom Brady for 11 years, and we're going to have that conversation. And there is a story in here that he is going to tell called The Tom Brady of Turkey Hunting, that you've got to listen to. You've got to hear it. And there's a video that goes along with this story. I'm going to be putting that video up on the Facebook group. The North American Waterfowler Podcast Facebook group is where you can see that, or you can just go to Matt Light's website, which we'll be providing that for you too, and you can see it there. That's a fantastic video, and I think after you listen to this interview, you're going to want to check it out. So let's go ahead and talk about the sponsors real quick, and then we will get right into my interview with Matt. Don't forget, as the off-season gets into full swing, we all know we're going to need things. We're going to be purchasing some things. So before you make your purchase, make sure you check out fabrand.com. It's Final Approach and all of their lineup of gear. fabrand.com. The code there is FDH10 for 10% off. Motion Ducks Decoy Spreader System. I can't tell you how invaluable it is to have motion on the water. I know from my app, the North American Waterfowler app, that the number one factor in killing ducks is motion on the water. And so that is the best jerk rig on the market, motionducksdecoys.com. And again, that's FDH10 for 10% off there as well. And as always, OnX is the number one innovation that I have ever experienced in my life other than the spinning wing decoy to improving waterfowling and your ability to kill ducks so please check out the partners if you want to get more of this content you can go over to 
patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting and join us over there for all sorts of extra content. I've got a bunch of interviews coming up and you're going to have the opportunity to watch those live and comment and ask questions along the way. So go on over to freelance duck hunting or patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting for that. And starting new, I'm going to be posting these podcasts on YouTube in video form. I'm going to be doing that on the North American Waterfowler YouTube channel, and that's where you're going to be able to see these in long-form video. So if you like to see video alongside of your podcast, the North American Waterfowler YouTube channel is where you can do that. I'm going to upload this one right here. So starting today, I'm going to try to upload every single one of those. So go over to YouTube, subscribe, and get those. And also, I'm going to be releasing a bunch of shorts as well. And one thing I continue to forget to mention is that my hunts are on Roku. All you have to do is search Duck Hunting TV, and you can see all of my hunts over there. In fact, you can see all of Jake's hunts from Chasing Green over there as well. It's Duck Hunting TV. So there we go. So let's go ahead and get on with this right now as I bring on Matt Light, and we have this about hour-long conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So let's go ahead and bring on here Matt Light, three-time Super Bowl winner, 11-year pro. How are you doing, Matt? Buddy, I'm good so far down here in Florida. Hopefully going to get rid of some of this milky white that I've accumulated over the uh, winter, (laughs) you know, here being in the cold season. But uh, down in Florida visiting Grandma. Right. And you live still around Boston because you played for the Patriots. So you live in the Boston area, right? Yeah, we spend most of our time in Rhode Island. Um, just recently moved to Rhode Island from Massachusetts, and and then we split. You know, we're we're in Ohio where I grew up on our farm for most of the summer, and then I go back and forth quite a bit throughout the year. So yeah, Midwest to the Northeast and back. Well, I got to admit, I am so excited to talk some football stuff with you. Um, but before we get to that, I, w- I do want to talk about what you've going have going on. Give me. I know it's a, it's around turkey hunting. So tell us about your background in turkey hunting um, and what you've got going on with your foundation. Well, you know, playing football, you don't get an opportunity to spend as much time in the uh, deer woods as you'd like to, right? I mean, deer season is crazy. Um, you know, I would get maybe, you know, oh, a handful of hunts in during, you know, the season. Um, but turkeys, well, that was that was – that was the entire season, right? From start to finish. And I think my wife is a recovering Turkey wife. You know, she, she loses me for about 50 days, every Turkey season. Um, but you know, I fell in love with Turkey hunt. I didn't have turkeys in Ohio growing up. Uh, first time I really, uh, ever hunted a bird, a Turkey anyway, would have been in 2002, right after my, uh, my rookie year with the Patriots. And we got a lot of birds in the Northeast. So, you know, what we just launched is a uh, sweepstake. It's a it's a fundraiser for the Light Foundation. And we started the Light Foundation in 2001. And uh, we do a lot of work with kids all over the country. But we use these sweepstakes to raise money. And in this case, we're documenting the story of the Tom Brady of turkey hunting. So Tom Brady was my quarterback. but And, and, and whether you like the Pats or not, or you like Tom Brady or not, he had a lot of success, and this is telling the story of a guy who had the most success you could ever have as a first-time hunter. He went out in the woods, first time ever hunting anything, and shot a world record, not not just Osceola, but a albino Osceola. So we tell the story. It's got some amazing twists and turns to it. And at the end of it, we talk about our youth hunts that we put on through the Light Foundation, the kids that we take in the outdoors, and then we give a lucky winner an opportunity to uh, get a chance to go down to the Gilchrist Club where this happened in Florida and have an all-expense-paid trip, airfare, lodging, the whole nine. I'll be there helping guide, and we're going to have a ball enjoying the great outdoors there in Florida. So that's what our sweepstakes is, Turkey touchdown.com go to turkeytouchdown.com watch this amazing documentary and you will be blown away so later on the podcast are you comfortable with telling the story before people see the video oh yeah 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 let's get into it at okay that time. yeah, sure. yeah we're, we're gonna go all through it i watched the video this morning it's about a 15 minute video 
And I'm telling you guys, you've got to watch this video. It certainly has a twist. And I was all dragged into it. I was, <laughs> we'll go over it. We will definitely go over that later. So with your wildlife background, um, did you do, did you hunt and fish as you were growing up or did you start, you said your first time you turkey hunted was your rookie season. What, what was your background as far as wildlife goes and hunting? Yeah, man. I mean, I was fortunate. I grew up in a family of hunters. It's all we did. Um, to be honest with you, it, most people don't believe this statistic, but I had never seen a college football game in my life, let alone a professional game ever until I played in both. So, you know, when I got to Purdue, that's the first time I'd ever seen a college football game. When I made it to New England, you know, that was the first time I'd ever seen a professional game. I I was in the outdoors 99% of my childhood, right? I mean, nice. my my great-grandfather in the Outdoor Writers Association, um, my grandfather he was good friends with Fred Bear. My dad grew up going up there. Everyone in my family, all the men anyway, were gunsmiths and bowyers. You know, my, my father can, you know, cut a stave off an Osage tree and use only stone tools to fashion any bow you could imagine, reflex, deflex, long bows, recurves, wow. uh, you know, anything you could possibly imagine. Hand makes all of his own arrows, naps his own points. You know, I mean, it's, I, I'm the dumbest one of all of us, <laughs> but uh, I've enjoyed, you know, I've enjoyed everything that the outdoors represents all of my life. And, you know, whether it was going up to our hunting camp up in, in Michigan, you know, chasing squirrels and rabbits, you know, with mountain curs or, you know, it, I mean, just, just using dogs to just have the most fun you could have with small game, right? Um, that, that was always our lives. That, that was our world. And so, you know, football actually put a big damper on what I could do in the outdoors for mm -hmm. quite a while. Um, but it was just, it's always been a part of my life, man. Camping, uh, pre-1800 <clears throat> encampments, what we called rendezvous. You know, that was our vacations every summer, running around in a loincloth, setting up teepees and lean-tos. You know, yeah. I mean, it's um, it's just kind of how we, how we were raised. Everybody in my family, my grandmother probably could outshoot, you know, most of the people I've met <laughs> in my life, you know. So uh, a lot of tradition, a lot of history. Um, and uh, and I come from the town, a little town in, in, uh, in Ohio, West Central, called Greenville. So it's the home of Annie Oakley, which is, you know, kind of a big deal. Right. Right. So at this point, um, you've been retired for how many years have you been retired? About a decade, man. It flies by. About 10 yeah. years. So have you, are you mostly a turkey hunter or do you deer hunt? Do you do any bird? What does your hunting calendar look like? Yeah. I mean, if it falls into the category of consumption, I'm all in. So, you know, in retirement, I've been able to do obviously a lot more deer hunting um, take a lot more trips, uh, love elk hunting. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's just a big Turkey that talks a little bit different and lives in some pretty wild areas. Um, you know, moose, Turkey, bear, deer, of course, I, I love going to England. I got a dear friend of mine, you know, who has introduced me to, you know, just these incredible properties. Uh, you know, we're able to stalk, you know, deer that range mm -hmm. from, muntjac to chinese water deer to roe deer and fallow deer um if again if i can eat it i'm chasing it right. and and when it comes to waterfowl you know man look at, again in the northeast we've got you know incredible opportunities whether it's sea ducks or you you know you're going to go out and you know hammer on some geese or or whatever it may be i mean it's it, it's an awesome spot but we you know we we get after a little bit of everything I do a lot of predator hunting this time of year, right? Like mm -hmm. I think a lot of probably your listeners and and guys that are into waterfowling, you know, you, you gotta you gotta feed the addiction during some of the down times or when seasons start to shift or whatever. And uh, so right now, it's, I'm heavy into predator mode. I bet having that passion for the outdoors has to be had to really help the transition. I, I would just assume someone who their entire life has become football clear up and through their mid thirties, if you don't have that to fall back on, I, I would just think that it would be a very difficult transition for a football or a professional athlete that has no other passions. Like what do I do with my time now? Whereas you, you can slide into 
an, another equally as strong passion. I bet I bet that makes made the transition for you a lot easier than someone that didn't have a secondary passion to fall back on. Yeah, you know, I, for sure. I think um, you know, there's definitely been guys that I played with that their identity was completely, you know, surrounded by the game, right? <laughs> um, you know, their their interest, you know, I, when they when they left the locker room and they went home, they were watching other teams, they were watching other plays. You know, again, for me, it just was never a part of my lifestyle. And, and you know, that's not to say that, you know, I didn't appreciate it. I mean, I appreciated every second of it. Um, it just wasn't a major part of my life. You know, um, mm-hmm. when I left the field, I never thought of football. Hmm. Um, when I was there, it's the only thing I focused on. And we were there for, I don't know, in some cases, 100% of the daylight hours, you know. Right. During the season, I mean, you're you're there before you know the sun comes up. You leave, you know, after it sets. Um, big part of my life, but but definitely wasn't what defined me. You know, I played football. It wasn't who I was, though. And you know, I think for me, yeah, the the second that I was retired, man, I just tried to gobble up any opportunity <laughs> to go and and hunt with guys that you know that I'd been friends with for a long time, and and do the things that I couldn't do when I played. Right. I, I would think that would have to be difficult going year after year being at a complex that much. How difficult is that like with your relationship with your wife and your family to be playing professional football and devoting that much time? Do you wear down from it or is it just something I'm so focused, I'm so driven, all the spotlights on that it's just I want to be here? Or How hard was that to keep your desire to be at to put that much into football that many years <clears throat> you know i think when you're in it, it it is what it is as 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 my former coach would say you know and, and when you're playing for a guy like bill belichick you know there there is no margin for error there isn't a there there's not it's not as if you walk into bill's office and you're like hey look bill you know like <laughs> we've been doing this for like every hour of every day uh you mind if i just you know not come in tomorrow uh, never a question so you know, I think I think too that when you're in a culture like that, you you either become more like that or or you're not there any longer, and that's right. kind of what it is in the in the National Football League. And as far as the relationships, and I mean, you're giving up a lot. I mean, you compromise a lot. Whether it's your wife, you know, my wife, you know, was very forgiving, but you know, we ended up having three kids during my career. Had our fourth shortly after I retired. You know, she was putting up with a lot, dealing with a lot. Um, and, and I'll tell you, probably who suffers the most are the actual coaches' wives, mm-hmm. you know, and, and their families. I mean, those guys, they don't ever go home, you know. And at least for us, we were able to go home. You know, we had uh, the NFLPA, the Players Association. You know, there were certain things they couldn't, you know, do to us. So, you know, you make the best of your off season. You make the best of it when you're in season. And, you know, I think probably the toughest things that you go through – um, you know, really looking back on it would be the adversity, you know, the, the things like a, a major injury and, and the recovery and what you have to do to get yourself back on the field or, you know, to, to relearn how to do certain things after a major breakdown. So, you know, those are the difficult parts because those things come home with you, right? The pain, the surgeries, you know, I had, I've had 15 major surgeries in my life. Wow. Um, 13 when I was playing, you know, whether it was college or the, or the pros and the, and that's, that's probably the most taxing on your family. Do you feel, how does your body feel now from all of that time in football? Yeah. I mean, definitely, you know, you got your ups and downs and um, you know, I didn't reveal this until afterwards, but you know, the same time I was dealing with the normal aches and pains, you know, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease in my rookie season and, you know, I never wanted that to be a talking point, so I never talked about it then. But, you know, all those things add up and, they, and, you know, you start feeling sorry for yourself some days. But the way I look at it is this. You know, I knew what I was signing up for. I knew what it was going to do. Um, I knew that I recovered pretty well. You know, which after 13 of those, I was like, oh, well, you know, Humpty Dumpty could get put back together again, apparently. <laughs> right, um, right. And I knew I was going to suffer a little bit, but... You know, there's amazing resources out there in terms of how you take care of yourself, what you use for supplements, um, 
you know, and it forces you to, to, to educate yourself. Right. And I mean, Hey, look, look at the number of people that work, you know, in a, in a mine somewhere, or, you know, they're, they're picking things up every day or these repetitive jobs. Right. I mean, you know, there's somebody out there always hurting worse than you. So I always temper kind of how I feel with the realities of a lot of people have, and, and they don't have the resources I do. So all in all, I feel very fortunate to, uh, you know, to feel as good as I do really. That's great. Um, let's back up into your high school to college days. Now, I I played um, college baseball at a real low level. My dream in high school was always to be contacted by Division One. I. I mean, Division One when you're in high school is always the goal, uh, and and it didn't come true for me. So I'm I'm curious at what point in your high school career did you realize, you know what, I'm really good at this. I, I'm going to have the opportunity to go to a Division One. How did that feel? How did that change your emotions in your life? I mean, I, I think there probably was. I mean, I know there was a point. It was my senior year that I, I was like, oh, wow, this is actually happening. Like, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm going here and doing this. I, I don't know that I ever felt that um, that I had it figured out or that I was like, you know, on this unbelievable trajectory. I mean, if anything, it was just the opposite. I mean, I, I was a fish out of water. I had no idea, you know, what the college game was all about. Never saw a game, you know, for me. So it wasn't on your radar, really. It wasn't a big pack. Like I'm going to be D one. It just kind of fell in your lap. Literally fell in my lap. I mean, I can remember my high school coach came up to me and he said, Hey, and this is my junior year. Probably he goes, I'm getting some, you know, some guys that are coming by and they're asking about you, you know, <laughs> I don't know how many games we won in high school, but it probably wasn't more than seven for my entire high school career. Right. Mm-hmm. We weren't, we were not a powerhouse. And uh, again, middle of nowhere, you know, small town, you know, kind of a situation, but we played against some pretty good players. Right. And in Ohio, you know, there's football's a big deal. And, you know, I think it was those other players that they were watching, and then they saw this, you know, somewhat gangly, awkward, you know, kid from Greenville, and so they started looking into it. I took some some uh, different trips um, to different schools, my going into my senior year, and that's when it started to hit me that I may have a shot at playing at the college level. From there, you know, once I committed to Purdue, I'd taken trips to a number of different schools. Mm-hmm. That's what it kind of hit me that, you know, hey, this is going to be interesting to see what happens. But I never felt like I made it, you know. And I, honestly, all the way until they signed me in New England, I kind of figured at each step along the way, they were going to figure out they made a terrible mistake. <laughs> you know? right. and, I, and I remember checking in to the Purdue Student Union uh, as a true freshman. And I'm, I looked to my left, and I got this guy. Both of them were from Tennessee, actually. I got... I got David Nugent, who ended up playing with us uh, or playing with me in New England as a D tackle, and uh, I also then looked to my other, I Colin Bryant Jr., whose father played in the league. Both these guys are benching over 500 pounds. They, oh my like, gosh! I'd never seen a weight room. Like I, I hadn't done anything in a weight room really in my life. You know, I was just a country boy that enjoyed playing the game. I didn't go to jail when I hit people on the field. And I thought that was phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. So in high school, you played linebacker and tight end mostly, right? I did. Yeah. You know, it was um, it it was it was linebacker was probably my number one thing. It's what I loved the most. And uh, and tight end is a bit of a misnomer, given the fact that I was an offensive lineman my entire life, and mm-hmm. that I pulled a kid off of the tight end position so that I could play maybe twice, and the coach almost kicked me off the team both times. But one of those times, my quarterback threw me a ball, and I caught it, ran it in for a touchdown. And I think the scouts must have seen that because they thought I could play tight end, and that's what I went to Purdue as was a tight right. end. And then I, 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 I figured out how to, how to you know, not, you know, do, you know, the things that tight end that you have to do well. And they, they – put me back where I deserved to be. And that was a, on the offensive line. And I swallowed a couch over eight a little bit in college. So, right. Cause you went, you were, you're six, four, about six, four, six, five, right. Yep. And you weighed, how much did you weigh going from coming out of high school? You know, I was probably two twenty coming out of high wow. school. I probably yeah. played at two forty. My, I, I started at tight end only because the tight end of Purdue, 
you know, was out for that season, the guy that was starting ahead of, you know, ahead of me before I got there. And uh, I played probably 240 at tight end my true freshman year. Then I took a year off and swallowed a couch, as I like to say. And that's also when we had a transition. We went from Joe Tiller, who's the head coach, to uh, – not Joe Tiller, sorry. We went – Joe Tiller came in as, the, as a new head coach, right? So when Joe Tiller came in, I would have – I shouldn't have been a tight end anyway, but I sure as heck wasn't going to be a tight end in his system. So he sat me down and said, hey, look, if you want to play, you know, you need to put some weight on and think about playing tackle. So Mm -hmm. wrestles history. And at at what point in college, when you went to college, did you have any aspirations for the NFL? Or you're like, wow, let's just see where this goes. And at what point did you realize, you know what, this NFL may actually be obtainable? Yeah, you know, it was honestly my junior year. We're playing in the Outback Bowl. You know, we had played in the Alamo Bowl twice and then the Outback Bowl. And it was after, it was actually down at the Outback Bowl down in Florida that, you know, I had some people come up to me and, and you know, these uh, these different uh, agents and whatnot, they find their way into certain places. They're not supposed to be talking to you necessarily, but they do. And I remember I had some agents come up and, you know, said, hey, man, you know, you should consider coming out early. And I thought that was a very ridiculous statement. Um, so going into my senior year, I had a, I had a, I had a thought that maybe it would be possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until after my senior year, you know, we, we, we went to the Rose Bowl. Uh, Drew Brees was my quarterback the whole time I played left tackle at Purdue. Um, you know, it was hard for, you know, obviously between Drew Brees and Tom Brady, we had decent quarterbacks. It was yeah. tough for me to get those guys to learn the technique. I mean, I worked with them over and over again. <laughs> you know, right. No, luckiest left tackle in the history of the world. Right. But that said, right? Um, but the most pressure, I mean, left tackle. You know, well, you can look at it both ways, right? You, you know, they're going to get rid of the ball and make really good decisions and do it in time and in rhythm. So that makes my life a lot easier. And, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe there's going to be – some football playing Jesse's across the line that have their ears pinned back and they want to, they want to do inflict a little extra damage. Uh, yeah. I mean, but it was always, you know, look, I, the way I looked at it was, it was a one-on-one battle. You know, every week was going to be tough when you're playing a left tackle position. It is what it is, man. That, that That's what comes with the territory. I can't imagine how that would feel to make a technical mistake. The guy gets around you and just crushes Tom Brady and it's all your fault. Well, that had to happen you. a few times, right? Examples. Yeah. <laughs> How does that feel walking back to the huddle? You just keep your head down and don't make eye contact or. <laughs> you know what, man? I never thought about it. I mean, I think there's a trust that you build up, right? Like, you know, it'd be one thing if, um, you know, you got somebody and this happens in the real world all the time, right? You know, you got a guy sitting in the office next to you, you know, he does about half the work. You know, it's easy to see. Everybody realizes it, right? So when that dude makes a mistake, it's real easy to go over and be like, well, yeah, you know, if you didn't if you didn't suck, you know, that would have never <laughs> happened, right? Right. And, and so so for me, you know, whether it was, um, you know, my fault or someone else's fault, like we see it every day. Like we evaluate in real time every day, every practice, every snap, every walkthrough. Like everything we do is recorded. And therefore, like we know the people that are putting in the work and, and oh, by the way, you know, especially when you get in the league, if you're not willing to do the work, you, you, you won't be out there. I mean, you know, there's no way you touch the field. So when a mistake's made, you know, there was nobody more upset than me, you know, when I give up a, a play mm-hmm. and on the flip side, you know, you got to reconcile the fact that they're getting paid too, you know, right. and so you're going to give up some of those. Um, it, what hurts is when you give up multiple you know, yeah. like in the same game, you, you know, or God forbid you make the same mistake or a mental error. You know, those are the things that kill you. The things that you shouldn't have, you know, that you shouldn't have done. When, when they beat you, they flat out beat you, that's going to happen. Yeah. You know, it's, not, it's not fun. But Is there any defensive pass rusher that you just felt was the most difficult individual to block out of all of them? Yeah. I mean, listen, I played against greats. I'm not taking anything away from, I mean, heck, in my own division, right? In the AFC East. I had Aaron Schobel twice a year in Buffalo. Great, great guy. Had a had a hell of a motor. You know, really good uh, technician. Um, I had <laughs> John Abraham, who was a perennial terror. You know, guy long, lanky. You know, re- really skilled in a lot of different things. And he was with the Jets. And then, of course, you know, we had Jason Taylor. 
down in, in Miami. And that guy, you know, had a tool chest. He could do all kind of things to you, make you look bad. So I played against a lot of really good players. Um, Javon Curses, the Freaks, you know, you name it. They go mm-hmm. on and on. The best that I think has ever played the position, though, is that number 93 in Indianapolis, Dwight Freeney. Right. You know, Dwight Freeney had, you know, some of the some of the best talent in areas that, you know, you you just don't see very often. I mean, if you, if you had one move as a defensive end in the National Football League that you could consistently win with, not every time, but you consistently win with, mm-hmm. you'd be a, a pro bowler. Just right. one move. One move. That's right. all it took. One move that you consistently win with. It could be speed to power. could be a bull rush. could be a, a spin move. One of those. Well, he had all three of those that I just mentioned. And he could also skin the edge. I mean, he did a lot of things very, very well. And, man, it was a challenge. Every time you had to go face a guy like that, man, he made you work for it. You know, just being the, the common man, when I go to, whether it's a Division One or a professional football game, and you see guys like you and guys you played with up close, the thing that just blows my mind is the quickness and speed at that size. I, t- I, tell, I tell my kids, I'm like, we're watching this movie, I was like, these people are super, they have superpowers. I mean, these are like freaks of nature in, a, like in, a, in the most excellent, positive way you can think of. The jumping, the quickness, the speed. It's, it's superhuman. It's superhuman. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely looks that way. I, I can tell you, if you do it every day, right, if you're out there and you're working, you know, you you got to imagine, like, even during the season, right, we're working out three days a week on top of the endless amounts of practice time that you're going through. You know, one, once you get your body conditioned to do the kind of things that are required to survive a 16- or 17-week season or if you make it into the playoffs, a 21-week season, I mean – you know, you, you're you're hardened, you're battle ready, and and I would say this in today's game, you know, you back up a very short time ago, right, 10, 11 years ago, when I retired, we had just signed the new CBA. The 2011, we signed or we, we went into a little bit of a work stoppage going into the 2012 season or 2010 to 2011 rather. In 2011, we got the new CBA signed, and I played under that for one year, and. In that CBA, they they did away with a lot of the practice. Mm-hmm. And when they took that practice away, it was under the, I don't want to say, I should say, actually I do, the guise of we want to make the game safer. Well, the reality is the game is less safe today. Hmm. You know, there's more, the rate of injury has increased. Really? And the number of players that go down Due to this, these injuries, season-ending injuries has increased. So, in my opinion, it's because they're not practicing enough. Hmm. They went too far in one way, right? Well, right. And, and you, you can't hit anybody anymore. I mean, if you see a good football play today, it's probably going to be accompanied by a 15-yard penalty. Yeah, right. I mean, the I way that they protect that. quarterbacks is is a joke at this point. I th- it feels like watching the game. Some of the some of the flags, you're just like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, you know, and it's unfortunate. You know, I, I want to see the game thrive. I know how many young people need the game, you know, to teach them discipline and work ethic and and all the things that go into you know, you know, be, being a, a anyone in sports if, in that matter, but definitely in football. I mean, football demands a lot from you, but they're they're not doing the right thing for the game, in my opinion. I mean, we 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 practice hard back in the day, and uh, and to be honest with you, I needed it. If I didn't practice during the week. I didn't feel right going into a game. Right, your body, your body probably gets used to the the hits. Is, is that is that the thought, or is it a conditioning thing, or is it just being used to being hit? Yeah, as well, far as it's, it's it's all of the above, right? I mean, you have all these proprioceptive <laughs> muscles and all these things that happen when when you actually go through like the drills at like ninety percent. I mean, you're not going a hundred percent in practice, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, in some cases you are for the for the little things, but. You know, in the game, you're definitely going to take it up a little bit of a notch. But, I mean, even with that said, I mean, these guys are practicing at like 20% now. So their bodies aren't able to absorb, you know, a lot of these impacts the way they used to be because, the hell, they they don't see it enough, right? So it's like anything else. Through repetition and and hard work and and just staying after it, you know, you, you can accomplish and overcome about anything. And you need that in the game of football. 
All right, guys, we're going to take a real quick break to hear from the sponsors. And when we come back, I've got a couple more football questions for Matt Light, um, 11-year football player for the Patriots, three-time Super Bowl champion, and avid turkey hunter. He's got a sweepstakes I want you guys to hear about. And when we come back, a couple more football questions, and then we will get right into um, this amazing story about Tom, the Tom Brady of turkey hunting. We will be right back. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. All right, guys, thank you for hanging on during the break. Like I said, I got a couple more football questions, and then I cannot wait for you guys to hear this story about the Tom Brady of turkey hunting from Matt Light, former Patriot football player, and he's in the New England Patriot Hall of Fame 2018. How emotional was that for you to be inducted into the Patriots Hall of Fame? Yeah, you know, listen, I think as as a guy that didn't, again, grow up, you know, idolizing a certain team or a player or whatever else, you know, for me, the journey in football was, was exceptional. I mean, you know, I learned to have this great appreciation for the guys that played ahead of me. Um, I was part of the NFL PA on the players association side as a, as a rep and then on the executive committee. And I got to meet all these amazing players. I mean, heck, just the guys that came through new England in my 11 year career, you know, we played in five Super Bowls six AFC championship games, um, you know, just, just all the success we had, but the guys we did it with, you know, that was the best part. I mean, we had right. fun too. Right. We had, we had a lot of fun. What so, an amazing experience to be on that team during that time. Yeah, it was, it was, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible to really put it into words or to summarize it. Um, cause each season was so different too. You know, you had all these different eras, Mm-hmm. You know, we had the Randy Moss era, you know, we had, uh, the Julian Edelman era. We had, mm-hmm. you know, going all the way back to the Troy Browns and the, and the Kevin Fox and, you know, the, the Corey Dillon, when he came in from, from Cincinnati, I mean, all these different players and at all these different points of time. And, you know, to be able to be included amongst some of the, some of the greats, right. Especially that have come through new England and been a part of the Patriots organization was beyond humbling. So, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a very, it's a very cool moment to share that with your family and your friends, um, to have them, you know, there for that moment, uh, definitely won't, won't forget that anytime soon. And those offensive lines on those teams were an integral part of the success and to be the left tackle, the leader, I, I would assume the left tackle is, I know the center left tackle, but to be on those type of offensive lines during that run, that has to just be just such an accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, and just the guys that were on that line, you know, Logan Mankins, you know, <laughs> just just the with his giant hands, you know, from California, the, you know, this cowboy that came in and, man, that was one of the best wingmen you could ever ask for. Uh, you know, the Dan Copens and the Joe Andrusies and, and what Joe Andrusie and his brothers represented during 9-11, you know, had – three brothers as firefighters, you know, fighting in the towers and doing everything when 9-11 happened. I mean, it was just, it was an amazing run with a lot of incredible players, the Steve Neals and the Dan Copens. And, you know, I could go on and on and on about the guys we played with. But we had we had a great line. Everybody uh, everybody wanted the same thing. We wanted to get better every day. And we right. wanted to go out there. We wanted to prove it every day. And uh, we did we did an all right job. 
Yes, you did. <laughs> you did pretty well. You did. Pre- so I've grown up in Kansas. I live in the Kansas City area. I've been a Kansas resident my entire life. I've been watching the Chiefs since 1980, and we've had we've never had a decent quarterback ever until Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it's just been so difficult to be a Chiefs fan, and then all of a sudden we stumble into this. Which is, I, I would I always tell my dad, do you think we'll ever make the Super Bowl before we die? And I mean, it's just heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak. And then the Patriots kind of hand off the baton to the Chiefs, and now we've got this. Do you have any thoughts of the Chiefs where they're at now and compared to the dynasty that you were a part of compared to what the Chiefs are experiencing now? Yeah, I mean, I... I... People ask me all the time about the comparison, and I would say this. like I, I love Andy Reid. I think Andy Reid's an incredible coach. I like the way he coaches, um, and, I, and I like the way they play. I like you know the discipline that they take. Um, I mean, they got, they, got some, they, they got some guys that can make some big plays on both sides of the ball and on special teams. Again, and, and they're really well coached, right? Um, the run, you know, I mean, four out of the last five, right? I mean, that's right. – that's insane. Um, and, and I think it speaks to a lot of things, but, you know, I think there is, you do have to have the comparison, right? Because really nobody had done what we did. And now you're seeing where a team has the opportunity to do it. You know, um, you know, Tommy, you know, here in New England, six Super Bowls, right? That, that was crazy at the time. People thought that'd never be done again. Well, you know, they're the only ones that could do it, Right. And they're and they're they're definitely knocking on that door. So you know, I understand the comparisons, and I think it's fair to do it. I can tell you one thing: I'm not a big fan, you know, of of how some of the things are are going in Kansas City, namely with two of their top dogs. You know, you look at a guy like Travis Kelsey. You know, it drove me nuts listening to some of his comments. You know, politics. You know, girlfriend. You right. know, Pfizer. It's like, you got to be kidding me. Like, we used to never do yeah. that kind of stuff. So that was disappointing. Right. Yes. And then, you know, running into your coach in the biggest game where you have, I don't know how many tens of millions of people watching. I mean, to me, it's what message does that send the next generation? Right. Who, oh, by the way, are being told how great they are in grade school now. Mm. Right? And, and they know they're going to get paid to go to college because – you have the NIL and you have the transfer portal. I mean, it's it's really tearing apart the game, in my opinion. And that's why I think it's it's more important than ever that these guys that that all these young people look up to, who are who are in the biggest games, right? That they conduct themselves appropriately, absolutely know, do the right things. So, listen, <clears throat> taking nothing away from them, they're a phenomenal team. And by the way, when when a guy goes down, the next guy up has been performing, you know, incredibly well. So even their backups. So it just tells you that that's a a really well-coached, well-run organization. I am glad that you brought that up. Um, I'm really curious about about that. When he bumped into Andy Reid, now Andy Reid blew it off like it was no big deal, and and I would assume behind closed doors he probably had some words for Kelsey about it, and Kelsey's been a work in progress. He did some of the stupidest things at the beginning of his career and he's been able to tame him a little bit, but who he is as an individual in his regular life probably doesn't match up with a lot of my ideology and everything. But when he bumped Andy Reed, it's not that he was just upset. I mean, that was nose to nose in his face, veins bulging on his forehead. That, that couldn't have been something that Andy Reed behind the scenes was happy about. No, yeah, it doesn't really matter what he says. I mean, look, and, and I, I'm a big believer in, you know, there's no need to take things into the general public's realm that you know you need to deal with internally, right? So I don't have a problem with what he said in terms of, like, the head coach and what Andy, you know, said publicly, right? Because I'm sure he's going to deal with it the way he needs to deal with it or the way he feels he does. Mm-hmm. Um, but, look, if if you're acting that way towards your head coach – Right, the number one guy in charge. The only message that sends is, "I know how to do your job better than you do." That's it. It doesn't matter what he wants to say about that. It doesn't matter what his rebuttal would be to that. If you act that way in front of the entire world, or at any point, even behind closed doors, for God forbid, 
you're telling your head coach that you know how to do his job better than he does. Mm-hmm. And that's clearly not the case. I mean, you, you let Travis Kelsey run that team and I promise you it'll be in the ground before. Yeah. You know, and, and your visit, phys- you're getting, you're, you're taking it to a physical level. You're not just telling him that you're getting physical. He almost knocked him down. Yeah. Yeah. It was very unfortunate to see, you know, and, and I think, you know, it goes for a lot of these players. I mean, even like a guy like Patrick Mahomes, right. You know, you go back to that point in the season earlier where they had that unbelievable play, right? Where they throw it back to Kelsey and right. got, one of his receivers is offsides and man, he lost his mind on yes, that. Yes, he did. Again, in full view of the world. And, mm-hmm. you know, some people that don't even know football would look at it and be like, you know, well, you know, it looks like he's pouting, right? I mean, but if you know football, you look at it and say like, hey, man, just, you know, what, what do you want? Special treatment because you're Pat- Patrick Mahomes, right? Like, like your receiver yeah. was clearly offsides. Clearly offsides. And, you know, so again, to me, like, and I understand, man, you know, tempers flare. You do things you wish you had back. I mean, I'd be the first to admit that there's many things that I wish I could take back. And I'm glad people don't hold it against me. You know, but you would hope that their their comments coming out of that, you know, and, and even publicly would be like, hey, I shouldn't have done that. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I know better than that. You know, I, I shouldn't have acted that way. But too often today, you never hear that you know, from these people that are being idolized by young people, young people need to know that that's not acceptable, you know, under any circumstance. Right. And again, that's, that's on their shoulders, you know, with great, you know, with great fame comes great responsibility or that should. And so I would like to see where you have these guys, you know, do things with integrity more, you know, uh, think about that image more and, and give that, you know, you know, give the game what it deserves, right? Because football is a great tool, but if we don't start gardening, uh, guarding it more, it's just going to become, you know, all about the money, all about the fame, right? And that would be a shame. Yeah, well, we certainly are in a moral crisis in this country. There is no doubt about that. And hopefully within the next 10 years, 20 years, things will go the opposite direction. But, you know, with with social media and the technology, we are certainly in a moral crisis um, I'm going to get one more football question and then we're going to get back into the sweepstakes and the Tom Brady of Turkey hunting story. But I am curious to ask this in Super Bowl 46, it was Patriots. You guys were playing against the giants and you guys ended up losing that game. And I was looking at the stats of it and I, I, the perception and correct me if I'm wrong is that Steve Spagnola had a big impact and the pressure that was able to be put on Tom Brady had a big impact. And I'm curious, as a Chiefs fan and Steve Spagnuolo being our defensive coordinator, what did he do something different in that game that they were able to put so much pressure on Tom Brady that other defensive coordinators didn't do? Because I know you guys struggled a little more with the rush in that game than you had um, in, in the regular season. What are your thoughts on what, caused that issue or am i off track and that really is didn't play as big a part in the game is my perception no i mean listen i mean spags is unbelievable defensive coordinator right has been for a long 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 time um you know i think in that game from what i remember what i mean that was that was the last game i played in i was i was oh really oh man after that man and uh and you know, I had an, I had a year left on my contract, but for me, it was um, it was time to hang it up and do other things like get in the woods and do a little hunting. Um, so, you know, I think if, if you really look at that game, right? Like, I don't even think they they recorded a sack. I, I know they had a lot of ru- rushes. I know they had mm-hmm. a lot of pressures. Um, you know, it was a low scoring game by all standards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was two defenses that played really well. Our defense played really well. Their defense played really well. Um, you know, they definitely got a number of pressures. Justin Tuck had a great game, you know, and he's a great player and played really at a high level for a long time. Um, I think it just came down to with the time that, that each offense had, they they were able to capitalize on one extra drive, right? So, I mean, we're, we're pretty much tied. We had a slight lead, but we're pretty much tied throughout the entire game. And then the fourth quarter, I think they were the only ones to score in the fourth quarter. So I remember coming out of halftime, you know, we had a good drive to kick off the third quarter. Um, and, but it's the kind of game you expect, right? You know, he, he does a great job as a coordinator getting his guys ready, brings a lot of passion. You know, they, they played at a very high level. Their secondary played really well. 
Their guys up front didn't give Tommy a whole bunch of time. Um, but it was a dogfight, and it's the way right. you know we, we kind of figured it would go. Um, they just were able to capitalize at the very end. And look, we had, I don't know, a little less than a minute, 50, 55 seconds, whatever it was, to go down and win it you know, at the very end and, and just couldn't get it done. Uh, made a few mistakes. I think – I don't think there was – I think there was maybe one turnover in that game, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, look, it was tight. No sacks. You know, they didn't record a sack. They got they got one turnover. And typically, if you win a turnover battle, you win the game. I don't, I don't right. think they gave up the ball um, uh, offensively. So, so you yeah. didn't feel like there was anything that happened that was out of the usual that you were having more problems with other teams. It was just a grinded-out game that yeah. you guys yeah, last I mean, at the very end. Part, yeah. Okay. Yeah, a really tough-nosed game. And, and, again, you know, I think that was the expectation. We got it. And if there was four more minutes left, maybe we could have tied it up. Who knows? But right. not the way it went, man. Well, a minute 50 with Tom Brady in the ball is normally a pretty good position for you guys to a, be in. <laughs> a minute 50, we may have gotten it done, but I think we had less than a minute, if I remember. Oh, less than a minute. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think it was about 50-some-odd seconds. And, and listen – that's been enough time in the past too. It just yeah. wasn't enough time in that one. Right. Well, thank you for taking the time to share those NFL thoughts with me. I find it fascinating. I know my listeners are as well. Let's jump back into the Turkey stuff. But before you tell the story of Tom Brady, Turkey hunting story or the Tom Brady of Turkey hunting, tell us again about the sweepstakes and how can people enter it? Yeah. So if you go to turkeytouchdown.com, you can see the video you can also enter in and get as many tickets as you want, right? So I believe it's $10 a ticket, and we're going to draw a number of winners, but our grand prize winner will get a chance to go down, or not a chance, they're going to go down, all-expense-paid trip, airfare, lodging, and you're going to stay at the Gilchrist Club, and this place is second to none. I mean, it's as good of an experience in the outdoors as you could ever wish for, the food, the accommodations, and we're going to be hunting the Osceola's, in Florida. Um, I'll be there. I'll be helping guide. We're going to have a ball. They got a ton of other cool things to do while we're down there fishing. Of course it's Florida. Um, so that's what the sweepstakes is all about. We've also got some other great packages. Uh, Mossberg's going to be throwing in a shotgun of the winner's choice. Um, so that'll be phenomenal. We've got struck commander, Quaker boy hooks, custom calls, a lot of great prizes, secondary prizes as well. Um, but as far as this legendary documentary, the the tale of the Tom Brady of turkey hunting goes, you know, it starts out with a board member for the Light Foundation. And he says to me, I got this place down in Florida. A friend of mine's a member. You can only go there if you're a member, and we can sell this at our big event. Okay. So we have this thing called the Celebrity Shootout. It takes place in September. We sell this hunt to go down to turkey hunt at the Gilchrist Club in Florida. And my friend that helped us get this said, I said to him, hey, you got to come down. You've never hunted anything. So he he comes down a trip. He's a little bit nervous. What do I need? I tell him what he needs to get. I teach him some turkey hunting techniques, which you'll see on this video. And on day two, he ends up killing the ghost of Gilchrist, which he had heard about since the day he got down there and when he kills this thing he looks it up and quickly realizes he has a world record and he wasn't wrong he killed a massive a massive albino osceola all white two months later he gets a call from florida game and fish he's featured on the the cover of their magazine and so the hunt we sold it in september the hunt took place in march the following september we're going to sell the same hunt at the same event. So I said, Jamie, you got to get up on stage. I want you to tell your version of what happened. No problem. He And by the way, he was signing. They gave us 200 copies of the magazine. He was signing the magazine for people <laughs> at the event. He gets up on stage. I hand him a mic. He says, you're looking at the world record, a 44-pound albino Osceola. It's all in this video, in this documentary. He talks about being the Tom Brady of turkey hunting. He killed Is he the first one that coined that phrase, or had you guys been saying that? He he said it live in person <laughs> in front of 500 people. I'm the Tom Brady of turkey hunting. He then said, I killed the Moby Dick of turkey. And of course, 
when you grow up in New England as Jamie did, it's turkey. You know, there's no orange, right? So <laughs> it was it was a hilarious, hilarious moment. But we show the video on stage, and he had never seen it. <clears throat> so here he is a year later. Now he's an accomplished turkey hunter. He'd been wearing me out about all the years that I've spent turkey hunting, never killed a world record, <laughs> never been featured on a magazine. He's got this bird mounted proudly in his home. Anybody that knows him, that knows me, he's, you know, just throwing it at me. And in front of 500 people on that stage, he found out that he actually killed a broad-breasted white turkey that I bought at a farm. (laughs) (laughs) And as ridiculous as this sounds, I have to tell you, when you watch this video, tears. Because in front of 500 people, he's looking at the screen when he realizes that he just killed and mounted and was signing, you know, magazine covers, my brother called as the head of Florida Game and Fish. None of it was real. I mean, it was one of the greatest moments of my life, and you get to see it all unfold in real time on the stage. Oh, man, how fun. I got. I was telling you this off air. I was watching that this morning. I did not know that this was a prank. And I didn't realize till the end that he was part of a member of the... I thought it was just some guy off the street that you didn't even know at the beginning of it. And so you've got footage of him stalking this turkey. And I'm not an avid turkey hunter, but I've done a lot of turkey hunting in in my time. In fact, at one point in time, it was my passion in high school, even though I labeled myself the world's worst turkey hunter at one point in time because I was incompetent at killing them with a bow. But anyway... He's stalking this thing, and I'm thinking that something. He's just like out in the open. There's this turkey. He's just stalking it. He shoots oh, the so, thing, so, just standing there. So on that point, <laughs> I just got to tell you, that was part of my training regiment to to him. I I took an old Primos. It looked like a dinner plate tail fan that they used to they used to sell these like in, in decoy kits, right? And I handed it to him, and I told him, if you hold this in front of you and squat down like a sumo wrestler, you can walk right at him. You just right. keep turning the tail fan back and forth like this, right? And and if you watch that video, it's exactly what he did. <laughs> and clearly it worked. Obviously something, as I was watching it, I've done enough turkey hunting and go, there's something off about this. And But I didn't know there was a prank. And, and so we've got the podcast in a couple hours. I'm thinking, I know this guy's reputable, but this is obviously like off somehow. And I started getting nervous. I'm like, are these guys really going to pass this off as a real as a real turkey? I mean, obviously he shoots it; it's still standing there. <laughs> and then at the end, it all came together that it was a prank—a full year-long prank. That—that's some dedication to that. Yeah, and the, and the things that happened in between—if I could have recorded them somehow—I mean, the funniest—we're we're leaving an airport, Jamie and I, and this little tiny Greenbrier, the Greenbrier Resort in, in West Virginia. We're leaving there. And they got this little tiny airport, and and he's a salesman, and 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 we're in a very rural area, and he looks at the guy that's checking us in, and he goes, "Hey, uh, you guys must hunt a lot around here," and I know where this is going, right? I know he's going to bring up his bird, and I'm a little nervous. And this guy, good old boy behind the counter, he's like, "Oh yeah, man, we you know we we hunt a lot around here," and he's like, "You got many turkeys," and he's like, "Oh man, yeah, we we hunt a lot of turkeys, got a lot of big birds." And he goes, you ever, you ever killed one this big? And he hands him his phone. And the guy looks at it, and he goes, well, hell, son, we got about 10,000 of those just down the road to farm. And I'm behind him going, don't do it. And, and so Jamie, it flew right over his head. He had no idea what he was talking about. And after Jamie goes through security, I'm standing there with the guy, and I told him why he said that. The guy literally fell <laughs> on his knees. If I could have recorded that scenario, you would have right, right. Uh, those of you that are listening, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a link to this video on the Facebook group, the North American Waterfowler Podcast Facebook group. So if if you don't, you can go to Matt's website, check out this video, or if you're a part of the Facebook group, you can just go to the Facebook group and see the video there. It is definitely worth viewing. Um, I know Willie Robertson's on there, and they're interviewing him. He's kind of part of it a little bit as well. So definitely something that you guys have to check out and make sure that you see. One thing I really like about your foundation, Matt, is that you're focused on the youth. I don't know if you've caught wind of this, but there is a growing movement of people that 
don't want to introduce and bring other people into the sport. Um, people who feel like our public lands are overcrowded to the point where we want less hunters, not more. And I completely disagree with that. I, I think kids more than ever need mentors. They need to be brought into it the right way. And I love that about your foundation that you're focused on the youth. Can you talk a, a little bit about your philosophy and why you just started to decide to go down this route with the youth? Yeah, you know, I think first off, you know, what we focus on through the Light Foundation is just creating better leaders, right? Or giving some kids opportunities to be around great leaders, CEOs, and, you know, whether they're in business or in sports or in any walk of life, right? We want to introduce kids to help ignite their own passions and, and uh, you know, give them, you know, great role models and, and give them some of the tools, right? Some of the things that you know, either made me successful on the field that I learned from coaches or, you know, the things that people instilled in my life through my family. And, you know, we love working with kids, but the outdoors is such a natural tool, right? Especially for the way I grew up. But, um, you know, look, let's face it. If you're going to take a kid out into the woods, right, on a, and, and give them an opportunity to hunt, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of boxes they have to check, Right. They got to, first of all, they got to wake up on time. They got to wake up early. Right. They have to, you know, go out and, and have a hunter education course that they complete, right? And time that they put in to learn about gun safety and, and just, you know, woodsmanship and just the general things that you need to know, you know, to go out and harvest an animal, right? So there's skin in the game, right? And, and these are all great things for kids to learn. But for us, we, we take it a step further. If you want to be a part of our youth turkey hunts, you have to do all the above to be legal to hunt in whatever state we do it in, whether it's Ohio or Rhode Island. But you also have to commit to community service hours. And 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 those are, for us, centered around conservation. You know, teaching them about hinge cutting and, and habitat restoration and, and all the things that so many outdoorsmen, so many hunters do on a daily basis to make sure that we can ensure that we have these opportunities in the future. You know, you got all these people that want to talk about, well, we've got to have open land and we got to have this, that, and the other. Very few of them actually put boots on the ground. Whereas, you know, if you're a duck hunter, you're going out and you're doing all kinds of habitat restoration programs. You're doing all kinds of things with your waterways and how you divert things and how you flood fields and, you know, how you mow down some corn and, 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 and you know, things that are sustainable for the very species that you're going after. Because, hey, if you don't, you're not going to have those opportunities. So right. by very nature of what we do. Now, we know that, but so many young people only hear the other side, right? Oh, you shouldn't go out and shoot an animal. Oh, that's, you know, that's, that's not right to, you know, hunt. You know, it's not fair for the, well, okay. Or how about the fact that they have a sense of accomplishment that they not only were able to have this unbelievable experience out in the woods, but they harvested an animal that, you know, they'll never forget that moment and they'll be able to share that turkey breast or that duck breast or that venison or whatever it may be with everybody in their family, let alone all their friends and everyone else. I mean, to me, and, and, and at this point in my life, that's the most fun I have, man. I mean, I right. love butchering. I love sharing that resource that isn't chock full of all the junk the FDA allows to flow through our veins on a, you know, a base. Every day people are yeah. eating stuff they shouldn't eat, yet we have all this other stuff that is real. And that's what we like to introduce to these kids. So, man, it's awesome to see the success. And for us, success is, you know, them just getting to hear a gobble in the woods or to see a deer run past them, or a coyote, or whatever it may be. And if they get to harvest a bird, even better. Absolutely. Amen to that. Well, I appreciate you being on here. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that I didn't hit before we sign off here? Man, no, I just appreciate it. Um, you know, I think as outdoors, and just like I was saying with these sports figures, right? You know, we have we have a an obligation, I think, to tell the right story. So, mm -hmm. you know, the next time you want to post that picture holding that big deer or whatever it may be, you know, put a little something else in there of substance that goes beyond, you know, just the hunt. That would be my challenge to all of us, right? You right. know, we have to do a better job of telling our story 
than what the other side does today. And and honestly, if we don't, we can't really complain about what's going on because education is key. You know, most people just don't understand why we're passionate about what we do because mm-hmm. they only see it through one lens. So it's up to us to change that narrative. Well, I love what you're doing. Keep doing it. Congratulations on your NFL career and congratulations on what you have going now. Tell the audience one more time, where can they reach where can they reach you? Where can they get um, signed up to the sweepstakes? Yeah, so if you want to learn about what we do at the Light Foundation, mattlight72.com, just like Bud Light, but Matt. Okay, probably shouldn't have used that analogy. <laughs> mattlight72.com, <laughs> and then if you want to get in on this sweepstake and check out the Tom Brady of turkey hunting, go to turkeytouchdown.com. Thanks a lot. Hey. Fantastic. And guys, I will also have a link to the video and Matt site on the podcast group, the North American Waterfowler podcast. So thank you for your time with me. If you ever need anything in the future, you want to make a return visit, don't hesitate to reach out. I've had a great time talking to you today, Matt. Uh, Signing off until next time, you've listened to another episode of the North American Waterfowler podcast. Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.